Welcome to He's Dead Jim, the podcast where we travel back through Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and joining me all the way from a secret location in the New York tri-state area is Emily Lind. Good morning, Emily. Hello. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing very good. I actually got some homework done this week. I actually got around to watching Trekkies, and I caught up on the Spock's childhood episode of the animated series that Catherine Neen told us we must watch. So all these things I always say to people, yeah, yeah, I must watch that, and I'll never, ever do it. I've actually I've caught up on a couple of things, which is good. I even watched a, a couple of episodes of Deep Space Nine, so we'll be able to have a bit of a chat after, about those afterwards. Uh, have you caught up, caught up on anything else, Trekkie, this week? Um, no, I didn't really have any time to watch anything else, but I did, I did watch that animated episode. I actually really liked that. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I think I enjoyed just watching a classic filmation Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, it definitely is like a really like bare bones style old school animation. Yeah, that's it. It's definitely made to a price. Uh, so this week we watched The Enemy Within, uh, which is episode five from season one. And if you're watching along with us on Netflix, it's episode six. For anyone keeping track of Stardates, we're at Stardate 1672.1. It's an earlier event than last week's episode. And we're on Planet Alpha 177 on a specimen gathering mission. And we start off on the planet's surface with uh, Sulu holding a uh, an alien creature they've picked up on the planet, which is clearly uh, a small dog in a unicorn costume. <laughs> it's so great. Would you like a pet unicorn dog? I would totally like a pet unicorn dog. It's a pretty patient dog. He's well-trained Hollywood dog. Um, so it has... A lot of extra fur, it has a unicorn horn and a weird dinosaur-type tail, I guess. Yeah, but you can still just so totally see its dog face. Yeah, just got a dodgy outfit put on top. Um, so Sulu, Sulu's got a new pet from the planet, and pretty early on, uh, one of the crewmen falls into magnetic ore and injures himself, so um, he has to beam back up to go to sickbay. And Scotty has a bit of trouble beaming him up. Uh, they have a bit of trouble with the transporters, but uh, they eventually get him back to the Enterprise uh, and send him off to sickbay, and they um, do some diagnostics on the transporter and everything seems okay. But then they beam up Kirk, and as soon as Kirk is beamed up, uh, he starts to feel very dizzy and very weird. Uh, so Scotty says, well, we better take you off to the sickbay. And Scotty leaves the transporter room. Kirk's like, oh, don't leave the transporter unattended. But he's like, oh, you know, first things first, we'll get you to sickbay. And then uh, while the, the transporter room's empty, all of a sudden the second Kirk beams up. But this Kirk has a very creepy, uh, maniacal look about him. Um, we get shots of him with you know, sinister sort of lighting and sinister music. Uh, so pretty clear this is bad Kirk. Yeah, they do this crazy, like, zoom in on his face. And we get some sweet overacting. Oh, like, instantaneous overacting. Which is my one of my favourite things about Star Trek. Definitely about original series. So, good Kirk. Uh, he checks out okay, but he just goes to his quarters to have a rest. Um, meanwhile, bad Kirk just 
rocks up to the teleporter console and just starts glaring at it and caressing the console. <laughs> it's very weird. I did wonder first up if they'd like done his makeup differently. Like he's got sort of dark sort of eye shadow or some sort of eye makeup on, but then it looks like all the characters or all, all the actors do in in this series. So I think it might have been thrown a curveball. Is it was there anything different about the way he was made up? I don't know if there's anything different about the way he's made up. He's definitely like doing the weird like wa- like his walk and the way he's holding himself is very different. So the bad Kirk goes to sick bay and then just barges in and demands sari and brandy at the top of his voice. Um he grabs and Dr. McCoy doesn't respond quick enough for him, so he grabs McCoy and yells at him. He said, I said, give me the brandy. And then uh, he walks the halls, sculling brandy out of the bottle um, with a big psycho grin on his face. Looking evil, he goes into Yeoman Rand's quarters. Poor old Yeoman Rand. Every time there's a creep on the Enterprise, which we talked about this last week, poor old Yeoman Rand just has to put up with all these creeps. It's just constant. That's pretty much, yeah. There, there hasn't been a Yeoman Rand episode yet that she hasn't been dealing with a creepy man. Uh, Dr. McCoy sends Spock to check on Kirk. Um, but Spock goes to see good Kirk in his quarters and Kirk thinks uh, McCoy's been having a lend of him and, and um, you know, convinces Spock he's okay. I did think it was a nice touch, like in terms of character, that McCoy would go to Spock and be like, hey, you got to go check on Kirk. Yeah, we're starting to see the the Star Trek Holy Trinity formed. Um, It'll be interesting. I had a few people reach out and that are McCoy fans. I'm hoping they'll write in some emails with some questions or their thoughts on McCoy, but it'll be interesting to see as the series goes on if if McCoy develops a bit more respect for Spock or if they if the ribbing continues. Yeah. So Scotty beams up the unicorn dog. A bad clone of the dog appears, so they've got a savage savage snarling unicorn dog that they've had to contain in a cage. Bad Kirk tries to force himself on Janice uh, and she scratches his face and gets free uh, telling a passing crewman to call Spock. Then uh, Spock, McCoy, and Janice go and confront uh, Good Kirk in his quarters, uh, but he doesn't have any scratches on his face, and uh, he was in his room during the whole incident. Um, and then Spock is the first person to realise that we must have an intruder on board. Yeah, I mean, that that scene with him and Rand, is, it's really rough. Oh yeah, like yes. they like they really like do that scene. Like I was, I was a little surprised at how far they went with that. Yeah, normally that sort of thing for TV of the time would be, you know, it would be implied or something, or there'd be a cutaway quickly. But he pretty much does force Yeoman Rand to the floor. It's pretty, pretty icky. Yeah, I was a bit surprised by that too. Yeah. One thing I want to mention here, because I, I read on and Memory Alpha, because this is something that I, that struck me as weird in the episode, which is it's weird that the scene with the dogs is before 
the scene when they go and confront Kirk and Spock's like, oh, there must be an imposter on board. Yeah, that's right. Because originally, apparently in the script, it was written the other way, which makes more sense. Which is, you know, we if you first have the scene where where they go and confront Kirk and he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. There must be an imposter on board. And then you go to the dog scene because that dog scene has a point where I think it's I think it's McCoy says, oh, can you imagine if it, if that happened to a person? And there's the big dramatic music. That's so it's just, right. It's just a little bit off. I don't know why they decided to do it that way. That's a good point. So yeah, I, I forgot that Kirk was present when the dog beamed up, or or they call him in to see the the aftermath and the 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 evil dog. A lot of these ep- episodes, it seems to be like things are spelled out for the audience, so the audience knows what's happening often before the crew and the officers know. So I wonder if that creates a little bit of tension in the audience, you know, wanting hurry, you know, wanting Spock to hurry up and figure things out, or you know, Kirk to hurry up and realise what's going on. Maybe. Yeah, interesting. Email us in if you've got any thoughts on that. Uh, so now we've got a transporter that's clearly malfunctioning, so it can't be used. Um, meanwhile, Sulu and the, the, the rest of the landing party are down on the planet's surface, and the sun's setting, and they've got to get off the planet as quick as they can because... Um, the planet temperature falls below uh, minus 120 degrees Fahrenheit, which means nothing to me, but I'm assuming that's cold. It's very, very cold. I meant to, meant to do a temperature conversion. Uh, so basically they're, they're going to freeze to death overnight um, unless they can get them back on the ship. Um, so they've, they've realised there's a duplicate Kirk, and Spock is concerned that something might happen to Kirk if Bad Kirk is killed. So Spock realises it's, it's pretty important to keep Bad Kirk al- uh, alive. Good Kirk, is, uh, he's been changed by this process and he's, he's very indecisive. Um, it becomes pretty clear he's missing a part of himself and a part of his personality or his mind. Um, Somehow, oh, and he says, somehow in being duplicated, I have lost my strength of will, which is obviously really bad for the captain of a starship. Kirk announces to the crew about uh, the imposter and that he has scratches on his face and that all crew are to be armed. And he's pretty, Kirk's pretty exhausted trying to make this announcement. He's breathless. Um, Spock quickly reminds Kirk that he forgot to tell the crew to, not to harm the bad Kirk. Uh, and Kirk goes, oh, yeah, that's right. Like things that normal Kirk would be on the ball about and not miss. He's, he's making mistakes and he's forgetting very important things. So he quickly gets back on the on the intercom and, and reminds everybody to set their phases on base cycle, which is stun. And, of course, bad Kirk's wandering around the ship and he hears this announcement and then he suddenly just goes crazy and just yells out, I am Captain Kirk. I think he yells that a few times. Yeah, he keeps repeating it with his psycho grin. And he goes up and covers up his scratches with some makeup or something he's found. Also, what is that makeup? What is that makeup that's just sitting... Wasn't that Kirk's quarters? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, he grabbed something. (laughs) It wasn't clear. So it wasn't like he's 
broken back into Yeoman Rand's quarters and stole a Max Factor. <laughs> so, yeah, Bad Kirk manages to steal a phaser from a crewman. Spock is trying to figure out Bad Kirk's next moves and he, he asks Good Kirk, well, where would you hide if you wanted to hide on this ship? And Kirk says, engineering level. So Spock and Good Kirk go and search for Bad Kirk. Um, Kirk confronts Bad Kirk and says, tries to reason with him and says, I need you and you need me. Bad Kirk's just about to fire on Good Kirk. And, you know, he basically says, I don't, I don't need you or whatever. Uh, and Spock does a nerve pinch on Bad Kirk just in time. Um, but Bad Kirk fires his phaser and blows a hole in some equipment. And then later on, we learn that he's he's further damaged the teleporter with that phaser blast. And then Bad Kirk is uh, restrained and put in sick bay. And then we get the classic brains trust of Spock and McCoy and Kirk trying to figure out what's happening. Scotty um, says the transporter's really broken. Um, okay, so this is yeah, what damage from Bad Kirk's phaser. Sulu and the crew down on the planet's surface are shivering. Um, and at the start of the episode, they had a you know, brightly coloured tent that they've ripped up into, <laughs> tried to make blankets out of it, but it doesn't look particularly warm. Sulu uh, shoots his phaser at a rock and heats up the rock so they can stand around it and try and warm up a bit. Yeah, that was actually, that, I thought that was pretty clever. They were using it sort of like to to get the radiant heat off of that. Yeah. Uh, but it turns out it seems like they've been doing this for a little while to try and keep warm, and one of their phases has already quit on them. Um, not quite sure why they're all they're still standing around out in the open. You think you'd be trying to at least sort of huddle up against a cliff face or something like that? Something. Anything. <laughs> Roasting one of those unicorn dogs. So Bad Kirk in uh, the sick bay is screaming. His vital signs are going crazy, and he starts dying. And then, <laughs> sort of a touching moment, Good Kirk holds Bad Kirk's hand and comforts him. And then his vital signs start to stabilise. And then uh, Spock and Scotty have made some temporary repairs to the teleporter, and uh, they test on the unicorn dog. Um, so basically putting the dog and the clone on the teleporter, they beam them up into the teleporter buffer and then beam them back down, but the dog dies instantly. And they believe that's because of the shock of putting him back together. But, uh, basically we get the brains trust again. What do we do now? Spock wants to try again and he's adamant that Kirk's a higher life form and he can understand what's going on. So he'll be able to... Um, you know, resist the shock or, you know, his brain power should help him get through it. Um, it would be pretty alarming for a dog to be teleported about. I'm sure that's like any mode of travel and whenever you take a dog or a cat to the vet. That's got to be absolutely terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how, like, how it is to have your aggressive half and your passive half melded back together. Um, that's, that's something I found interesting in Trekkies. I can't remember who it was talking, maybe Brent Spiner or one of the actors was saying at a convention, um, like he'd had fans come up and legitimately ask him, you know, what's it like to beam up? 
<laughs> like a, <laughs> like he's a method actor and actually has to have his particles disassembled and reassembled. Um, so that's interesting. There's some people out there take what they see on TV very seriously. Um, yeah, I can't imagine it's great, and I'm assuming scientifically you're really being destroyed and cloned every time that happens. Yeah. If it can happen at all. Yeah, that seems to be the prevailing theory that I've read online, that you wouldn't actually be the same person anymore. So weird. So we get, uh, with the brain's trust, we get a lot of back and forth. Um, Spock wants to hurry up and try again. Uh, McCoy wants to wait and do an autopsy on the dog just to try and figure out what actually went wrong. Um, there's a huge amount of urgency. Obviously, they've got to get the teleporter working and um, get the crew off the planet before they freeze to death. Uh, and it's a lot of arguing backwards and forwards between Spock and McCoy. Kirk is in the middle and he can't decide. He's basically just agrees with whoever spoke last. Uh, Sulu's getting desperate on the planet. He's got two crewmen unconscious. Kirk goes to the sick bay and tries to bring bad Kirk back with him. Um, bad Kirk lies to him and says, you know, I won't fight you anymore. And basically fakes being really weak. Um, then all of a sudden he overpowers Kirk and heads to the bridge. And then we get a classic doppelganger showdown at the bridge. Yes, always good to see. Awesome. And it's uh, a matter of figuring out who's the real Kirk. The crew have got to decide. Um, luckily, bad Kirk flips right out and it's pretty clear he's bad Kirk. He just goes, I'm the captain. And then turns on everyone and goes, I'll kill you. Oh, that's right. He turns on Kirk and says, I'll kill you. Um, and then I think it's Kirk which says, can half a man survive? And then bad Kirk just freaks right out and goes, I don't want to go back. I want to live. It's, <laughs> it's so, so crazy. over the top. It's amazing. I love it. It's very good. And eventually they're getting back to the teleporter and uh, the decloning works. So And Kirk... Instantly is you know back to his decisive self straight away. He goes, get those men aboard fast. And McCoy says, how do you feel, Jim? And Kirk says, I've seen a part of myself no man should ever see. And that's our episode. Except for this creepy as hell bit at the end with Spock and Rand. Where, where Spock has this line to her about how... Oh, the the imposter had some interesting qualities, wouldn't you say, Yeoman? And then it kind of like leers at her. Yeah, that yes, that's weird. I was trying to quite decipher what Spock really meant with that. Like, like she was supposed to be happy that he had like attacked her or something. Like flattered. I don't know. It was really creepy. Yeah, that was. Very odd writing. Um, doesn't gel with Spock's character. So Yeoman's obviously had <laughs> awful days. Had a very traumatic experience. And um, you can see, even after she sort of initially realises it's good Kirk um, that she's talking to and there is an imposter, she's still got to look at the face of her attacker. Yeah. Uh, so it's very traumatic. So, yeah, that's, that makes no sense. I I move that that should be stricken from the record. Yeah, apparently the the actress who plays um, Newman Rand, what's her name? Uh, Grace Lee Whitney, like she mostly has really positive things to say about this episode because you know actually she like got to do things, 
but she says that she thinks that line is just terrible. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's not something Spock, like the character of Spock, would say or do. It doesn't. It's yeah, it doesn't really actually make any sense at all. Any other observations from the enemy within? I. It's a fun episode. It was um, a fun episode. Yeah. I mean, you know, almost rape scene aside, like there's yeah. a lot of it's 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 always funny to see Shatner just go full Shatner. Yeah, he definitely did go full Shatner. Fully functional. <laughs> like it's just it's so so broad and so big of a performance. Yeah, we've seen a bit of extreme Shatner the last couple of episodes, especially the last one with the disease that made everyone emotional. And the whole, like, I want to live. Yeah, that was brilliant. So much fun to watch. Okay, it's time to open up the mailbag. Uh, We've got an email this week from Squire Trev. Uh, G'day. Uh, Squire Trev says, Hello, I love your podcast. I appreciate your thoughts on the episodes. I do have the following thoughts and questions for you. I hope you don't mind. Of course we don't mind. We'd love it. This is the People's Podcast. <laughs> um, regarding the choice for the man trap being the first episode of Trek aired, it makes sense to me. It is one of the few episodes that gives all the principal cast something to do. That's, that's a very good point. Sulu doing botany. Uh, Uhura flirting and singing, and of <laughs> well, the singing's good. Yeah, Uhura has a job to do on the Enterprise, and it's flirting. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Spock, McCoy, and Kirk have presence as usual. As such, it makes a decent intro to the cast as a whole, compared to many other episodes. Although I agree, they do kind of throw you into the Trek universe with no explanation. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. It's, I think it's a good episode. It's an interesting episode. It's a fun episode. I think our question was, or, or our thoughts about it, we were questioning whether it should be the first episode or not. Um, you argue for the latter, Linda, is that correct? Yeah, I, 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 I get this point that it, you know, it, introduces us to everybody and gives everybody at least one scene but it's still i don't know it still doesn't quite sit with me right as a pilot yeah i'm trying to think there's there's definitely enough action in it there's enough interesting planets yeah i I tend to still think after reflecting on you know the episodes we've seen so far i would have put the the actual second pilot as the first episode to air. Yeah. Yep. Um, lastly, what do you think of Star Trek V The Final Frontier? I have always loved it. It brings out what makes uh, the original series so special by highlighting the relationship between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. The original series is my favourite Star Trek series, mostly because of the relationship between those characters. However, I love the third season of the original series, so I am not exactly a normal Trek fan, so I'm ready for you to disagree with me. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Squire Trev. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, love... Yeah, thanks for writing in. I love The Final Frontier. 
Uh, I think you get the the ultimate resolution, I guess, or not really resolution, but you just see how that relationship, that, that friendship between um, Scotty and McCoy and Kirk has grown and you get to see them sitting by the campfire just being pals. And I think, I think that's where we, we finally see, you know, I guess there's, there's quite a few things happened between McCoy and Spock over the original series movies. So I guess by that point, there's pretty good you know, mutual understanding between them. They've been through a mind meld. Yeah, I always, I always liked that movie. Um, I haven't seen it for years, so I don't, I don't know if I would still feel the same way. But I always had a lot of affection for that one when I was a kid. I, I really liked those campfire scenes. Yeah, and and I think. You know, Spock sort of reached a point where he's sort of comfortable with more of his human qualities. I think. Yeah, and I know, I know this isn't like a. It, it's it's not very well regarded by most fans. I think, but I don't know. I never really had a problem with it. Yeah, well, I, I tend to judge a movie by whether it's fun or not to watch, uh, and I, I really like that movie. That starts off with Kirk rock climbing, doesn't it? Yes, with like the rocket boots. That's it, Spock with rocket boots just hovering around, doing the the rock climbing the easy way, and lucky he's there. When Kirk slips, um, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm a bit like you. I can't. It's been a couple of years, so I need to watch it again. But yeah, I, I remember being particularly fond of the Final Frontier. It seemed to be a great way to round out the um, the series of movies. Uh, in regards to the third season of um, the original series, I haven't got to that yet. I, I've like I've I would have seen you know the, some of the episodes sporadically as they're on TV, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm kind of saving that one now to to we actually get to it for the pod. So I'll be watching some of those eps for the first time. I, I understand by the time that season was being produced that Gene Roddenberry had basically left the series you know had dramas with the network uh and i've heard people say that it sort of evolved more into a kind of a monster of the week series yeah i think so i'm and i'm not sure because i because i the way i watched the original series was so sporadic i'm not even sure like which episodes of that season i've seen yeah so i'll I'll look i'll look forward to you know seeing it some of the episodes for the first time uh, yeah, thank you very much, and uh, yeah, welcome everybody's feedback and questions. I had a listener reach out to me um, talking about McCoy that has a few theories about McCoy. I think I've mentioned a bit lately that I've, I've, I'm sort of struggling with the way McCoy treats Spock and the way he, way he talks to Spock. He's um, sort mm-hmm. of picks on Spock based on his appearance and his difference, which is kind of the opposite of the whole inclusive Star Trek philosophy. Um, so, but yeah, um, anyone that wants to weigh in on that or anyone that's a huge McCoy fan, definitely drop us a line. Uh, so yeah, of course our email address is he's dead pod at gmail.com. Yeah. Please drop us a line. And also hit us up on, on the socials. We're at he's dead pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, I will just read out. There's got a couple of really good tweets. I'll just try and find. 
Okay, from at Carol Jude on Twitter. Um, Carol writes, Charlie X aired at the start of a new What's Up With Teenagers These Days cycle in the US. Uh, and that was barely two years after the Beatles set foot here. Uh, I'm guessing he reminded older people of some unscrutable, bratty younger people they knew, only with superpowers. Um, interesting take. Yeah, definitely, um, as a parent, having, <laughs> having a brat with superpowers around is extra terrifying. Uh, so that's, that's an interest, interesting perspective. And another one from Carol Jude, um, context for Star Trek The Motion Picture. Now, I've, I've talked a bit about how that's my least favourite of the movies and I'm really not a fan of it, but it's interesting to get um, some different perspectives. So um, Carol writes, previous to this first movie, all we had was the original series and dependent on reruns on your local TV station, if you were lucky enough. No VHS yet. If you were a Star Trek fan, the motion picture was like being engulfed by the Nexus. We watched it with our hearts. Uh, so I think that's interesting. Obviously, mm. it's, a, it's a very special movie to Carol and to a lot of people. I really like that sentence, we watched it with our hearts. I, I found that quite touching. Um, I have reflected that I think I've... I used to hire that movie... or used to hire the movies out on DVD and... I think I could only ever get the director's cut of um, Star Trek The Motion Picture, which I'm wondering if that's part of the reason why I find it really slow. Director's cuts, in my experience, are usually not fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you know, are there any director's cuts of movies you like better than the, the original cut? The theatrical uh, release? Brazil. Brazil. Brazil, the Terry Gilliam movie. Maybe Blade Runner, but I've seen so many versions of Blade Runner at this point, I don't even remember which one I actually like best. <laughs> That's it. Often it seems to be like in Star Wars with George Lucas and the prequels, it's, things seem to work better when you've got a committee of people you've got to go through and other voices to tell you when to pick up the pace and when to to make brutal choices about cutting things. Um so, yeah, I'll have to try and watch the theatrical cut and see if I like it better. Uh, but either way, Carol, I, I assure you when we do get to watching the, the, um, the motion picture, I give you my word that I will uh, wipe my memory banks and watch it with an open mind and an open heart. So I look forward to that. Do you have any, any thoughts on the, the motion picture? I mean, I haven't seen that one in so long because I just remember not liking it. Like, I couldn't even tell you what happened in it. Yeah, I think just, and again, because we've got the other movies afterwards to compare it to. Um, yeah, it just seems, my memory of it is it's got all these psychedelic sort of effects as they pass through the wormhole or whatever the phenomena is. Uh, and it looks pretty, but it, I always thought of it more as just a big long screensaver. <laughs> it didn't didn't seem to have um, just the punch that the other films have. But anyway, I'll 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 have an open mind when we rewatch it. I like the uniforms. It's interesting they've gone with. It's very stylish. They've gone with all white uniforms. Oh, that's right. 
very different look. But it, uh, I guess it's you know the, the first time we get to see the original series actors doing that bigger movie acting, and obviously they've had you know, more more experience, more life experience. They're um, yeah. definitely deeper portrayals. Cool. Uh, so that's that's Twitter and the mailbag. Thanks very much for writing in. Hit us up. Um, so this week with homework, uh, we caught up on Star Trek: The Animated Series, Episode Two, and uh, so Catherine Neen was our guest a couple of weeks ago, and I asked Catherine, uh, as a person who hasn't seen much of the animated series, is there a particular episode we should dive into? Uh, and Catherine recommended this one because we get to see Spock's childhood. Uh, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, it's cool. It's, it's a change having you know, these half an hour Saturday morning cartoon style episodes. You can sort of just dive in and catch one quickly. One thing I love about this is when we see, when we see young Spock, we see all these like these other kid Vulcans who are making fun of him for like being half human and having emotions and stuff. But I'm like, wait, isn't, isn't that also not being in control of your emotions? Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? But that's never explored. No. And we sort of get, you get that a bit in the enterprise series, um, in enterprise, the, Vulcans, there's a lot of Vulcans that don't particularly like humans or like this relationship with Starfleet. Um, And a lot of them are quite rude and it sort of borders on the point of, well, it's not very logical and it does border on the point of showing some emotions, even though they're, you know, it just seems, yeah, some some of these, some of that sort of bullying behaviour or non-inclusive behaviour in Vulcans doesn't seem to really fit with the whole character and the Vulcan race, etc. And we also see, like, we see Spock's big, like, I don't know, bear cat pet. I love that pet. Which was adorable. I can't remember what he called the pet. Uh, so this is a timeline episode where um, basically something's gone wrong and Spock no longer exists and... His place as the first officer on the Enterprise has been replaced by an Andorian. Um, and this happens while Kirk and Spock are off through this time portal exploring something else or doing something else. And when they come back, everyone's like, who's this Vulcan? Why have you got a Vulcan with you? So Kirk's the only person that remembers him. Um, and they sort of quickly figure out that something's changed in the timeline. And they figure out that um, Spock was killed, um, is mauled by an animal when he was when he was a little kid. Um, so Spock goes back in that timeline. Um, it goes back through time to that period and basically protects himself as a kid. Uh, he rocks up to Sarek's house, uh, Spock's house. So Sarek's Spock's dad. I can't remember what Spock's mum's called. Amanda. Amanda. There you go. Um, so Spock just pretends to be some sort of distant cousin. Um, he's sort of pretty careful about not messing with the timeline too much. And basically we're at the point where young Spock has to decide whether he wants to follow the human path or follow the Vulcan path. 
Um, that's when he chooses to go Vulcan. Basically, young Spock is trying to prove himself to his dad, and he's got some big Vulcan survival trial uh, coming up in the wilderness. So he basically sneaks off a bit early one night to um, see if he can make it outside, and his pet follows him. Uh, and then he's attacked by some sort of wild alien creature and his um, pet saves his life, but he's bitten by this poisonous creature in the process and ends up dying. And apparently that's a new thing that didn't happen in the original timeline. So um, original Spock's a bit sad about you know losing, a, losing his pet, losing a friend. That was pretty sad, actually. I like that pet. Yeah, I was surprised in a, you know, a little half an hour cartoon episode i wasn't expecting a dead pet i thought it was like even though the for a saturday morning cartoon your your production's got to be a little bit cheaper just to churn them out but um i I was impressed by the writing i thought the writing was very very good yeah i was i was really surprised by how much i liked it uh in terms of the the characters the animals and aliens there's a few aliens that are quite different um they were quite fun to watch. So obviously the the pets and the wild creatures. Um, but as the some of the Enterprise crew were standing outside this time portal, there's an alien that seems to be a crew member that was like a giant pterodactyl thing. Yeah, it was just a giant bird creature. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, not Pretty a pterodactyl. Cool. Yes, so cool creatures. I'm motivated to watch a few more of those. I think being only half hour eps, it's something I can just chuck on. Uh, so thank you very much, Catherine. That was a good suggestion. I enjoyed that. So, also, this week I caught up on Deep Space Nine, and uh, so I watched uh, an episode called The Wire, which, sorry, I've forgotten now, um, Cardassian Taylor's name again. Garrick, thank you. So I watched an episode called The Wire, uh, which features Garrick uh, suddenly being taken ill and refusing to go to sickbay. I'm not familiar with these characters at all. So Garrick is good friends with the Doctor. Yeah, Dr. Bashir. Dr. Bashir, thank you. So they they meet for lunch once a week or something like that. Uh, all of a sudden Garrick's sort of acting acting a bit odd. He's you know, he's got terrible pains in his head. Eventually they uncover later on the app that um, Garrick's got an implant that was implanted in his brain. Uh, that was designed to help him resist torture and basically to re- release endorphins to help him survive a torture situation so he doesn't spill any important Cardassian secrets. Um, but apparently he's he's found it so miserable living on um, Deep Space Nine and being the only Cardassian there that he's turned this device on and he's had it on running constantly for two years um, releasing endorphins or whatever it does. Um, so he's, he's a base, basically a drug addict. Uh, and now this device is starting to malfunction and he's faced with um, having to try and function without it. Uh, so I thought, oh, that was a really good episode, actually. Um, that was that was a good way to dive into Deep Space Nine. I also went back and watched, I think it was episode three, where think might be the first introduction to Garrick where he's um Bashir's meeting him for the first time and Bashir's not really sure who this Cardassian is he doesn't trust him he doesn't know why he wants to be friends and meet up all the time so there's a there's a sketchy Bajoran that's seeking asylum in that episode and 
Garrick sort of figured out that he's up to something. So it was in, I, I found those two being really good introductions to Garrick. Um, so, yeah, I'd recommend The Wire, which I can't remember which season it is, but it's later on, so look it up. And also, yeah, Episode 3, um, probably good introductions to Deep Space Nine. If you're looking to just dive in and pick a couple of random episodes. Yeah, Garrick's always a fascinating character to me. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, obviously he's, he's ex-intelligence um, and he appears to have, in The Wire, the secrets come out about him having a very dark past and having done some terrible things. But also it's he's, it's hard to tell whether he's actually telling the truth or not about that. Yeah, he's he's a, it's, it's, it's just such a complicated... It's such a complicated character that you sort of are always reassessing as you learn more and it's good they, they they do that a lot through his friendship with Bashir so by the end of the series are we directed to feel one way or another about him whether he's good or whether he's bad uh, he's pretty solidly good I mean he's definitely done some bad stuff but I I, I we're supposed to like Garrick yeah okay it just seems to be that nice sort of grey area where you, know, you have to have to keep guessing. So yeah, I look forward to watching a bit more Deep Space Nine. Anything else you'd like to chat about about Trek this week? I don't think so. Oh, Trekkies. Oh yeah, what did you think of it? I liked it. Um, I think I, I realised I had seen clips before. I don't know whether I'd seen things on YouTube or whatever. So I, I can remember seeing the the guy in um, Captain Pike's sort of wheelchair thing that we'll get to in um, a couple of weeks' time where basically it's a life support box on wheels that keeps the captain alive and it beeps. He, he basically is completely paralysed, so he can't uh, can't talk, but he can beep once for yes and twice for no. Um, and a guy, yeah, the guy in Trekkies has turned that into a like a his little motor scooter thing to go to the shops <laughs> it's, it's very strange yeah it is it's pretty cool i yeah my thoughts about it so i i like seeing i think it's like the everyday fans that they just do kind you know tiny little um interviews with i think i would have liked it if they were reflected a bit more so obviously you've got your featured fans in the series which are extremely quirky and basically live a Star Trek life. You've got all these people that wear the uniforms all the time. You've got people that wear the captain's uniform down to the shops. You've got a lady that calls herself the commander of a a ship or something, or a, of, which is basically a local Star Trek club. But she lives and breathes Trek to the point where she's, you know, she wears her, she wore her um, captain's uniform to uh, a jury. She's in quite a big jury trial and became famous for that because she wore the the Star Trek uniform all the time, uh, every day to the uh, trial. But also when she works in a, uh, like a small business at Printery and she wears a Starfleet badge, carries a phaser, carries a communicator like on a belt um, and basically wears that uniform to work all the time, has people in the office carry, call her commander 
and I just wonder, you know, if, are they sort of making slightly making fun of somebody that's maybe <laughs> seems pretty vulnerable? Yeah. I mean, she's she's living a life. She's having fun. She's not hurting anyone, and I, I think well, that's great to be able to turn up to work and not be boring like everyone else. Um, but a part of it was like she's basically in this her Star Trek group that she's commander of, um, big on community service, which is great. Um, but she basically just says, "I'm always recruiting," uh, and it almost seemed to the point, yeah, where it's almost a bit like you know, Jehovah's Witnesses or Scientology or something like, at what point is it becoming a religion or an obsession? Yeah, How do you feel true. about that? Yeah, you know, it's hard to, I don't know, I feel I feel like there's still a lot of affection in that, in that movie, but it is like right on the borderline. And I guess you've got to do that to make it interesting. If it was just normal people having a nice time at conventions, it wouldn't be that exciting, but it does seem to be, look, have a look at this freak show. Uh, I'd be interested to know what the people are up to now, actually. That'll be something to do a bit of research. Yeah, because that documentary, and, like, that came out in, what, like the mid-90s? Yeah, 97, I think. With some of the mullets and things that you'd assume <laughs> to start off with that came out in the 80s. I've forgotten the actress's name, Crosby, that played Tasha Yar. Uh, Denise Crosby. Denise Crosby. Denise Crosby... It's the kind of host and narrator, and when she's interviewing these people, she often looks very freaked out, very uncomfortable. Um, I, the, the things I love the most about it are the actors um, sort of talking about you know, going to conventions and their experience with fans, and there's a, a nice story about uh, Jimmy Dorn that played Scotty that basically saved a woman's life. Um, she, That's a beautiful story. It is, yeah. So a, a woman basically sent him a letter, which was basically a suicide note, and uh, he must have rung her up on the phone and said, look, I'm going to be at a convention this weekend. I want to see you there. And she came along to that. And um, he, you know, he took the time to talk to her and... And, event, and said, well, you know, I've got a convention coming up in a couple of months in New York or wherever. I, I, I want to see you there. And she kept coming to these conventions. And um, basically, I think eventually after a while, he didn't hear from, from her in a while and didn't know if she's still alive or what had happened. And then he got a letter to say, thank you so much. You, you saved my life. And now I'm starting to be, I, I went back to school and, did my master's in engineering or something like that. She's motivated by Scotty and Jimmy Dorn to, I guess, to follow a passion, I guess. It's a, that was a beautiful story. And he, you know, Jimmy sort of tears up while he's sort of telling about it and just basically says that's the, you know, the, the thing that he's most happy with in his, in his life. I think he says something along those lines about how that's his greatest achievement, uh, which I think is incredible. Such a nice guy and to to take time out to um, be there for just a random fan that writes into you. I think that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and they're all, yeah, Brent Spiner and Leonard Nimoy. Others, yeah, just fantastic. Michelle Nichols. Um, yeah, so that, that, that was my favourite part of it. Um, I think ultimately after sort of letting it sink in, I thought, well, I, I'm glad that these people are even though they're <laughs> pretty quirky i'm glad that they're living their life the way they want to live it 
Part of me wondered, you know, how real is it? Like, are they? Does that woman really take the um, the phaser and the communicator to the printery every day? Yeah. She did seem pretty committed. But yeah, I'd I'd like to see. I'd like somebody to do a follow up with those people. Have you ever seen? There's a documentary called Seven Up. I I've never seen it. I know what it is. So good. Yeah, the original was. You know, English children in some of them going to you know, pretty basic state schools and working class areas and some going to some of the poshest private schools. Um, and it was done originally for a TV show in England at the time. Uh, but then the filmmaker came back. So, that yeah, they were basically about this cross-section of seven-year-olds and then the filmmaker came back and did a movie every seven years uh, until today when they're adults. And it's just fascinating to see not everybody's life, you know, went according to plan. And um, But then seven years later, you know, people sort of turning things around. It's fascinating. So I'd love to see that sort of thing with Trekkies. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder how much info I can find online. I might look into that. There you go. That's a documentary project for you. <laughs> Yeah, maybe one day if you want, we could do a, a bigger episode on Trekkies. But yeah, I'd be interested in everybody's thoughts about the series. Maybe you've been to a convention and met one of the one of the stars of Trekkies. That'd be fascinating to hear. Um, I, actually, I thought it was interesting to, just to see the early days of conventions and how that's evolved into you know massive comic cons. I went to a Star Trek convention when I was like. Nine or ten. Oh, cool. Maybe a little older than that. Like, God bless my dad, who he like he doesn't dislike Star Trek or anything, but definitely like going out and hanging at a convention for a whole day is not. It was like a, a good time, but he took me. Um, it was one that Marina Sirtis, who plays Deanna Troy, was at. Oh, cool. And she was my favorite. Awesome. And so, you know, it's interesting because it was interesting. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm not sure how many just Star Trek conventions there are anymore. I know, I know when I was growing up, there was a lot of them. Like, that were just exclusively, like, Star, and they'd be all over the country. I mean, the fact that there was one in, you know, South Bend, Indiana, and then enough people come out for that, you know. And it was just lots of dealers selling every Star Trek thing you can think of. And then there were, you know, a couple of panels and Marina came out and talked and then she like did autographs. I have an autographed card from her somewhere. So cool. I have to put a picture, I, picture I, up I, if like, you find it. I, I'll, I'll see, I have to see. Um, I'm not sure if it's here. It might be back in my, at my parents. I hope I still have it. I can't imagine I would have thrown it away. But I, I was like so shy as a kid. Like I couldn't even like say anything to her. And then my dad was like, she really, she really likes you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Lucky Mr. Lynn was there to be your spokesperson. Yeah, because I just translator. like froze. I mean, I'm bad with people now, but when I was a little kid, I'm like, it was like the first time I ever met anybody off TV. I, I, I always freak out when I meet famous people. Even when I meet my favorite podcasters. I either say freeze up and say nothing, or I think, oh my god, there's there's dead air. I better say everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I did the same when I met people. I'm like, I've spent four years listening to your voice every week, and you actually don't know me at all. That's very strange. It is weird, isn't it? It's fascinating. Um, so w- this convention, was it in Indiana? Yeah, um, it was in South Bend, Indiana, where uh, Notre Dame College is. Oh, cool. And it was just like at a, it was at, you know, just a convention hall there. Very cool. Well, I'd be interested uh, if anybody wants to write in and tell us about their experience going to conventions. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm I'm pretty new to all this stuff. I've I've enjoyed I've always enjoyed Star Trek in isolation, uh, which is why it's so great to to uh, start doing this pod and getting to chat to you, Emily. Every every week is awesome. It's so much fun. It's cool. So yeah, any. Um, I'm not a, definitely not aware of any conventions in Brisbane, but yeah, if there's any Australian conventions, I need to check one out one day. So let me know if you've been to one in Australia. I know um, a friend of the show, Catherine Neen, has been to a couple back in the day. Um, she put up some cool autogra- autographs from uh, Voyager cast uh, on our Twitter page. I'll have to, I think I did retweet them, but I might, yeah, I'll do that again. Um, but yeah, I know, I think in Brisbane, it's only sort of the big commercial ones like Supernova, which is sort of kind of the Australian version of Comic-Con, even though I think there's an Oz Comic-Con as well, but yeah, they're sort of something where you get every franchise and heaps of Avengers stuff. But yeah, yeah, if there's any, any Star Trek groups around Brisbane, let me know. Actually, there was one thing, there's something I bookmarked just quickly about there's a Star Trek museum somewhere upstate New York where somebody's rebuilt the original Enterprise set. Article loading slowly on our fine Australian internet. (laughs) Here's an article. William Shatner visits New York Star Trek bridge set replica. Um, So Ticonderoga in New York. So Shatner's 87 now. He visited a doppelganger of the original Starship Enterprise set in upstate New York for a fans weekend on Friday. Shatner says, This set is exactly the way it was 50-odd years ago. And it's like coming back to a house you might have been born in and you look around and it's like, Wow, it's bigger and smaller than I remember. And yet it's the same. Finding a Star Trek set built at the site of an old dollar store near Vermont, near the Vermont border seems highly illogical, but it was a labour of love for local resident James Corley. The professional Elvis impersonator began the years-long process of building the sets in 1997 after inheriting a copy of the original Enterprise blueprints from a costume designer of the show. So there you go. If you're around somewhere around New York, head up to Ticonderoga and check out um, the new Enterprise replica. Let us know. It looked cool from what I, I saw a couple of videos and a couple of photos, and it, it looks cool. They've got all the lights and I assume sounds, but anyway, yeah, definitely the lights and things. It looks cool. All the all the original screens look cool. It's apparently about five hours out of New York City, so that's probably that's probably a little ways to go for for a like a jaunt to see the bridge. But if I'm ever, you know, near there for anything else. Nice. Yeah, well if any anybody's somewhere near the Vermont border of 
New York State. That'd be cool. Um, let us know. Or you might have been, well, I assume it's only just open with this big weekend, but yeah. Um, now, at the end of Trekkies, there's an Elvis impersonator that sings some sort of Elvis slash Star Trek song. <laughs> so I wonder if this is the same guy. I'll have to look that up, James Corley. You might know James from the convention circuit if you've been on if you've been going to conventions. Um, yeah, it looks cool. Uh, well, I think that's about it for this week. Anything you'd like to plug this week, Emily? You can check out my other podcasts. I do one on Star Wars, and that is called the Cantabite Dispatch. And I do a Legion slash X Men universe podcast called Pod of Future Cast. Wonderful. Check those out. And, uh, of course, if you'd like to contact He's Dead Jim, we're at He's Dead Jim Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or email us, He's Dead Jim Pod at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Uh, and until next time, uh, we have no sign off. Bye. Bye.